Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. He is the second highest ranking member of the New York City Police Department. But Benjamin Tucker can honestly say he didn't grow up wanting to be a New York City cop. The truth is, I wouldn't have aspired to being a police officer because I didn't like cops. I mean, you know, they used to hassle my friends and and I regularly, routinely. You know, we, we, we knew what being up against the wall looked like. Ask Ben Tucker about reform, and he will admit the changes are necessary. But defunding the police? Cutting a billion dollars from the $5.4 billion budget, as some have suggested? Well, I I think it would would be devastating. This week on 880 In-Depth, a frank conversation on policing, racism, and reform with New York's number two cop, Benjamin Tucker. I'm Tim Sheld from WCBS News Radio 880. Ben Tucker became a New York City cop in 1969, a time that he thinks compares in some ways to the protests we're seeing on the streets of America today. He rose through the ranks and then took senior positions in government, including the Human Rights Commission and Manhattan Borough President's Office. He served in both the Clinton and Obama administrations before coming back to the NYPD in 2014. The department was reeling from the effects of the policy known as stop and frisk, a police strategy of stopping, questioning, and in many cases, searching civilians. But studies found that people of color were being stopped more frequently than whites. A federal court found the policy and how it was carried out to be unconstitutional. A new mayor, Bill de Blasio, vowed to end the practice. Now, police reform is being taken to a whole new level, including new rules and laws on chokeholds, on police disciplinary proceedings being made public, and on the release of police-worn body cameras. Our Peter Haskell sat down with Commissioner Benjamin Tucker, and it started on the topic of reform. Commissioner, thank you for joining us. I want to start with this police reform legislation that was passed in Albany, uh, this includes releasing disciplinary records, banning chokeholds, an independent review, 
if there's a, 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 a death involving cops. What do you think of this legislation, and how will it impact policing? Well, the the, um, the state legislation, the the, the, the uh, repeal of 50A, uh, it's been on on the radar for quite some time, as as I'm sure you know. But um, so what it does is it it it's basically been repealed in its entirety. Uh, we uh, here at the department were or or encouraging some amendments to the original bill, but in any case, we are where we are. Uh, it uh, in effect it uh, it's replaced by uh, the provisions of the freedom of in, uh, of information law which, uh, you know, requires our department to turn over disciplinary records. And uh, so so that's, you know, on that bill, on that piece of legislation, we will have to, you know, it's going to, we have to make a variety of changes for how we redact uh, information, but also provide this information when it's requested. And, and we've already begun to get a number of uh, freedom of, uh, of information requests uh, as of as of today, so uh, this is going to be the future, and uh, and we'll comply. It's you know it'll it'll change the way in which we um, it'll it'll give us it'll give the public a lot more information about our offices, um, but the department's going to you know have to nevertheless uh, redact most of the personal information for offices, and the department may redact uh, information that relates to technical infractions as well as they are loosely uh, defined. Generally speaking, do you think these reforms will affect the way that the department does its policing? Uh, well, it certainly, you know, offices will have pause. I mean, it, it, the 50A um, probably won't be uh, as, as, uh, as impactful as the uh, information around uh, legislation around the chokeholds. Uh, and so that's a that's another piece of legislation that uh, that the state um, has passed, and um, that one creates, uh, in effect, creates uh, the crime of aggravated aggravated strangulation. Um, uh, and so an officer would, if, if found guilty of, of that crime, um, uh, would be found guilty of that crime if they were to, to engage in conduct that uh, specifically in the legislation says uh, criminal obstruction of breathing um, and intent um, uh, an intent crime so it's 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 it requires intent a lot of these changes are about transparency and that goes hand in hand with trust how would you assess the trust between the department and the community at large well, I think that, you know, the trust, we've been, since 2014, we have in earnest been trying to, uh, on the heels of the uh, stop and frisk litigation and then the appointment of the federal monitor since that time, we have been um, uh, very invested in in training, retraining. We've retrained uh, all the police officers in the department, all 36,000 of them, in, uh, in investigative encounters or stop and frisk uh, procedures um, but we also and we did that primarily because of, of the desire to really you know reduce the number of of, uh, of stops that were taking place they was clearly they were wildly um, uh, out of control uh, the number almost reaching uh, 700,000 in 2011 so we we are now last year we ended the year uh, somewhere just over 10,000 and so 
uh, the numbers have come down dramatically, and and that I think reflects the, uh, you know, a, a reasonable number given the number of our officers and number of stop uh, of uh, encounters that we have with with individuals, um, and, and 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 so there was in the in the uh, Supreme Court decision um, that created uh, this this exception, uh, so allowing reasonable suspicion stops. The um, it, it, it worked out. I mean, the 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 court did not issue a particular uh, amount, or did, did not indicate a, a specific amount of, of stops that would be acceptable. Uh, it really has to do with each individual case by case uh, uh, stop, and that assessment being made by the individual officers based on uh, the requirements and the rules that are uh, that that was set and structured by the court. I'm curious if you're concerned you try to build this trust and that we have these clashes between protesters and cops. Are you concerned that that rolls back or reverses some of the trust and some of the progress that's been made? No, it it, it has. I think it does. Um, you know, a number of things impact. Uh, you know, this this the notion, as I said, we've been trying to rebuild trust. We re- uh, structured our patrol function to create and so we can move forward with neighborhood policing uh, starting in 2014 uh, that the, 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 the purpose of, of moving in that direction was so that we we would be able to establish and uh, rebuild and build where it didn't exist trust with with communities and we changed our, um, our you know with with the reduction in stops but also in, in terms of our Outreach to communities, uh, in particular communities of color, uh, we 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 made a we've continued to make a concerted effort. We neighborhood policing, in effect, really dedicates police officers to working in uh, the various precincts in the particular area or sector that the officers work, and and now has officers when they come to work working in the same area in the same sector every time they that they're assigned uh, every time that they're working, and that you know keeps them in touch with the community it keeps them in touch with uh, the both the citizens and the uh, commercial establishments but also uh, keeps them in touch with and understanding the conditions that exist and and therefore gives them the ability to really work out uh, those problems uh, together with the community on the ground in those respective in those respective areas do you think that made a difference during these protests? Uh, it's hard to tell. Probably not. When you look at the protests, I think you know the you, 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 the protests created an environment by which, well, that was that was sparked by first the the hor- horrific um, you know death of of George Floyd, um, but the issues that the protesters uh, are, are raising during their their marches that that still continue uh, over the after after several weeks into this. Um, are issues that are concerns that that people have, and it, and and it, it it requires us as the department to pay attention to what what's being said, what the concerns are, and 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 we are important to this conversation about Ben Tucker and his thoughts on community policing is his own background, the story of growing up in Bed Stuy, Brooklyn, and how he became a New York City police officer. You joined the police department about 50 years ago. Why did you join the department, and what was it like being a black cop back in the 70s? Wow, it's a, it's a great question. I, um, I, I 
I didn't, and I didn't grow up. I, I grew up in Brooklyn in Bed-Stuy, Bedford-Stuyvesant, and I didn't, I didn't grow up wanting to be a be a cop. Uh, and um, but you know, I was in high school. A buddy of mine literally rang my bell one morning and said, "Hey, uh, let's go take this exam." I said, "What exam?" He said, yeah, "They're uh, they're giving the police exam at Boys High School." And so, you know, I've been working since I'm 14. When I when I got my working papers, I started working. I'm raised by my my mom, single mom, and, and so I figured I'll get out of bed and go take this exam. It was kind of an insurance for the future, and uh, and so I'm glad I did though. I, and and you know, and the truth is, I wouldn't have aspired to being a police officer because I didn't like cops. I mean, you know, they used to hassle my friends and and I regularly routinely you know we, we we knew what being up against the wall looked like and what it felt like and and so the fact that i that i actually joined the department was you know a surprise for some certainly my friends at the time but um you know i needed a job i graduated from high school uh and um had gone up to uh, college in westchester and then when they called me it just so happens that the department called me and and uh uh, to come and be appointed November 21st of 69. And so I came down and took the job. And uh, I haven't looked back. It's been um, a real challenge, I have to say. Uh, in the 70s, you know, the NYPD was probably 95% male whites at that time. Uh, we're coming out of uh, the end of the 60s, uh, which was a tumultuous decade, and we're just a year after uh, the riots in the city and around the country uh, in response to uh, the death of Dr. King and um, and Senator Kennedy. So, and, and, and of course, you know, there were all sorts of movements then and protests. So the closest thing to what we're experiencing today, Peter, uh, is probably that year, 68, uh, where we had the, you know, the, the Omnibus Crime Control Act and all of the that, that came with that in terms of recommendations around uh, how to deal with the racial tension that, that was palpable back back then. Uh, and, and of course, the police department's a microcosm of, of the rest of society. So that, that was the climate in which I came into this agency. Um, and I decided that for me, as a young black kid, uh, teenager, I was gonna be the best trainee and then sub- subsequently, uh, when I went back to the academy to finish up three years later, uh, I would be the best cop I could be, and uh, so that was that was my rationale. Um, and I ran. I came across all of it. I came across racism. I came across uh, cops who who were great at doing what they did, and that was the vast majority. Uh, and um, you know, I I had to you know make some choices about how I was going to conduct myself, and I did it. I think uh, uh, pretty well. Uh, the only time I was in, injured in the line of duty was by another cop. And so that's the other thing I know about. And we had lots of, of our uh, officers who were, who were black, who were working undercover uh, or non-uniform assignments. And in those days, you may recall a number of being shot by other police officers responding to a call or, or whatever. But in any, in any case, mis- cases of mistaken identity, um, you know, you found those officers losing their lives. So that wasn't wasn't a good thing, but but I stayed stayed the course, and I I thought I could do more good being in inside the department than being on the outside, and and that that's turned out to be uh, turned out to be true during the first twenty two and a half years that I was that I was in you know a uniformed officer, 
and um, and since I returned, uh, one of the reasons I came back was just to be part of what I thought would be uh, uh, a moment in time where under Commissioner Bratton, when, when, when he came back under uh, Mayor de Blasio, that this was a moment in time where we could actually uh, make some progress. And we have done just that. The amount of progress we've made in the last six and a half years has been it's unpre- unprecedented and, and uh, in a variety of ways. Um, um, and certainly crime is as low as it's ever been since 1951. And while we're having spikes even now, those spikes are, you know, we're still fighting the, the lowest numbers ever um, in robberies and murders and shootings and so forth. And now this call to reform policing in New York City. When you hear the term defund the police, what, do you, what does that mean to you and what is the impact of that? Can The council is talking about cutting $1 billion from the budget. What would that do? Well, I, I think it would it would be devastating. Uh, I mean, we we you know listen. The, we have you know our budget is is the majority of our budget budget well over you know close to ninety seven ninety eight percent of our budget is is personnel services. And so that's you know that it's really about the, the people. We have fifty five thousand people in this agency, and so. Uh, the lion's share of I think some folks think the budget you know if we say 5.4 billion it's the, the the number that's been out there has been 6 billion but we're really talking really 5.4 billion which is uh, uh, significantly lower but still it is um, we have then in, you know a, a tiny percentage uh, 2 or 3 percent that that really is available for all everything else we do other than personnel services budget um, you know and, and we have um, a real need you know for purchasing vehicles as you can imagine um, uh, also technology to help us operate more efficiently and, and effectively um, those kinds of things really matter uh, and so yeah if you were to cut a uh, billion dollars then then clearly that would eat into the personnel course and that would actually have a, a I think a serious Impact. Um, I testified to that at the, the city council, I guess, last week, and it, that would not be a good thing for the city of New York. We wrap up our conversation with the New York City First Deputy Police Commissioner Benjamin Tucker, where this latest chapter begins, the death of George Floyd. When you first saw, saw that George Floyd video, was your initial visceral reaction as someone who's been a cop and as part of the police department or was it as someone who's a black man it was both but certainly um, as a black man watching another black man be choked and and die right before our eyes certainly uh that made it maybe for sure for me more visceral um and and i have to say uh but it but it had more to do with humanity and this individual officer you know you know when these things happen you, you look at these things, and you and you, you have all kinds of emotions. It's it's impossible not to have those emotions, and you get angry, um, and you and you 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 feel disgust, and you look at this officer with his hand in his pocket, with with you know with, he has he, his character is flawed. When you see someone who can do that, with and and basically show no respect for for the human being, that is that is troubling and so you know you have a flood of emotions I think and I think many people see it that way 
and you feel it and, and it's palpable so um, and that's you know that's that's the you know that's why the people are in the streets and and we've had our incidents and we've had some uh, as I referenced earlier uh, where officers will be held accountable for some of their actions during these protests you cannot build trust we just can't build trust I mean people make mistakes and we you know human beings our officers make mistakes that's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about people who who sort of take this job swear an oath and then and then somehow believe that they can pretty much do whatever they want so so the, so the burden is on on us and as I said our, our officers are you know they are well trained and when it comes to you know use of force um, we we are you know pretty pretty much more restrained than I think most if not most of most of the, uh, the departments elsewhere around the country, and uh, and that's a, that's a tribute to to you know, I think learning our lessons over time, but also uh, staying the course and and, and focusing on tactics uh, importantly, and um, and focusing on uh, you know the giving the officers the, the confidence to go out and do the job. Um, but but um, also making sure that they're well supervised and are willing to when they see another officer uh, uh, doing something that is inappropriate, our expectation and it's required through our rules and procedures. But our expectation is that 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 officer should should intervene if it's a tap on the shoulder and say I got this or uh, some something else, whatever that is appropriate for that particular situation you know we we need our officers to to step up and and make those calls it doesn't work otherwise commissioner thank you so much for your time and your patience i appreciate it no peter thank you i appreciate uh having the time to, to, to speak with you in the days ahead commissioner tucker will no doubt be front and center in the debate about police funding we will follow where those conversations with the city council and others go. Our thanks to Peter Haskell for this interview. WCBS 880 In-Depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880. In-Depth executive producers are Peter Haskell and myself, Tim Schell. Thanks to Marta Zelinska for our digital support in getting this content shared. And thank you for listening. Please, if you like what you hear, share with a friend. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.